0: Welcome to Gathering Place Podcast. On this podcast, you will hear sermon recaps, meaningful conversations, and in-depth teaching. We hope today's episode ignites and equips you to live out your Christian faith and to bring healing to a broken world. Well, hey, welcome to episode two of season one here on the Gathering Place Podcast. Pray you enjoyed last week. We're still getting our feet wet and all things podcasting, but it's been a something very enjoyable for me to get on here, kind of share what God is speaking to me, um, what he's doing in our church. Uh, If you don't already, uh, make sure you're subscribed and um, you're downloading the podcast. You're helping us get the word out, sharing these messages. Uh, You can always follow the church on Instagram, uh, Facebook. Those are places where putting testimonies. We're actually doing gathering place stories right now where we're sharing stories from those in the church and how God has touched and changed their life. So, uh, just a little side note there, but um, I'm excited today uh, to jump right in. I'm going to be actually doing a screen share of um, the teaching today, and I uh, put together a presentation as we talk about the presence of God. Last week we talked about praise, this week is the presence of God. I want to share a few more things with you, encourage you, um, wherever you're listening, wherever you're watching. So, the best optimal experience will be. Um, watching this week. But I'm excited to jump in. Gathering Place Podcast Episode 2. Let's go. Well, today we um, are looking, as I said, on the presence of God. And we're in the Exodus story of the burning bush. And I'm going to go ahead and throw uh, this presentation up. um, And we're going to Get right into it um, from wherever you are watching uh, today. But Exodus chapter 3 says this. Um, it says this, and this is of, of Moses' encounter at the burning bush. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb. And he came to uh, Horeb, excuse me, the mountain of God, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight why the bush does not burn. Moses is intrigued here. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Skipping over to verse 9, it says, Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel have come to me. I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So there's the text for today. And, You'll see kind of scattered throughout some Prince of Egypt, uh, one of my favorite movies growing up of the, I think the Disney version of the Exodus story, the Moses story. So put some of those in there, thought you'd enjoy them. But we just read The Encounter of Moses at the Burning Bush. And there was a popular or the most listened to podcast in 2020 was the Joe Rogan podcast. And he had a guest, uh, Matthew McConaughey. On. and i recently saw a clip when i was preparing of uh mcconaughey talking about the how he doesn't understand uh the burning bush he said something along the line of i'm a practical guy and i don't know what to do with with the burning bush and really they kind of w- moved past it fairly quickly but mcconaughey was sharing his faith in the place faith has and Um, I think a lot of people can uh, essentially feel the same way as he does, maybe carry the same sentiment of what do you do with these moments that you can't really make sense of when you just read it for face value or read it very fundamentally or read it very literally. So uh, really what I want us to see, and I'm going to get into the New Testament of, of when you have a burning bush moment in your life, is what then do you do with it? What does it look like as Jesus followers, as Christians, those that want to um, uh, not only experience God for themselves, like Moses did at the burning bush, but then be set ablaze and burn with the power of God, with the presence of God, host his presence. So I'm going to go quickly from um, Exodus all the way to Revelation of where we see the importance of this. But what we need to know Um, about this burning bush is God reveals himself as I am who I am, as you go on and as you read the text. And when God reveals himself as I am who I am, it is um, God saying that I am self-defining. I am compared to none. I am self-existent. God is beyond all names. All linguistic identifiers fall short that he is pure, uncreated, Light. The um, ancient understanding of this experience would be labeled as a theophany, which means an external manifest of God's presence. So, God revealing his manifest presence. You got to see it this way as well, of how we read that the bush was burning, but it was not consumed. Now, this is important from Exodus to Revelation to understand about the presence of God and practically what it looks like for you and for me is the presence of God does one of two things. It, it will either, at Judgment Day, it will either preserve you or it will consume you. And the bush is a picture of that. That the bush is set ablaze, it is preserved, but it is not consumed. God's glory, his grace and mercy intensified, we'll see in the transfiguration of Christ, we'll see at the Judgment Seat of Christ, New Testament is full of this, um, it causes awe and wonder. It causes you to hide your face. It even says Moses couldn't look upon the face of God when he was on the mountain receiving the law. So the pattern we see here at the burning bush in the Exodus story is this is the presence of God is inside an earthly object or a person. We see this as we move on. Um, we also see that God speaks from within the bush. It's on fire but not consumed. And the object is preserved by God's indwelling presence. You could also apply it in context as the bush representing Israel is the object. So the bush is Israel. And the fire is Egyptian oppression consuming Israel. So the Egyptian oppression is consuming Israel. And God's indwelling presence is preserving Israel. So Egyptian presence is is coming to consume God's people. But God's presence preserves them. Well, where do we see this? We see this um, in the 10 plagues. As God's people are being, uh, as they're in slavery, is we see God's presence act through the 10 plagues. So through the 10 plagues, we see that they devastate Egypt, but Israel's persevered because God is within them. We see the plague of livestock. What happens there that the Egyptian livestock is killed, but Israel's livestock is preserved, the same presence of God, but two reactions happening of the one Israel who's hosting him are preserved, and the one of Egypt who's rejecting them um, are consumed. The plagues go on, darkness, but there's light, the killing of the firstborn, but the blood of the lamb, come on somebody, protects God's people. We see this even as Moses approaches the, um, the the Red Sea. What happens is the prince of God parts the waters. God's people, Israel, walk through. They're preserved. But as Egypt comes through, the prince of God seen in the, in the Red Sea, it consumes them and crashes and destroys and kills the Egyptian army. We see this even through... Um, I found this interesting through poison oak and even poison ivy is the same way is a natural um, remedy. If you're in high infested poison oak, poison ivy areas is the, the remedy is, is if you eat the early spring buds, you consume them. uh, It almost acts as a vaccine, a natural vaccination. And as you have consumed them and vaccinated by it, then if you're to get exposed to it, you have a natural remedy to where it's mitigated, to where you won't deal with the rash, the potential boil, the um, all the side effects of it because you've consumed it. So this is a principle we even see played out in nature as well. Now, this is amazing. This is an early church icon. Now, what I like to say about icons are these are important to know. Is the first four hundred years of the church, there was not a canon of scripture, so they had icons that were theology in color. That um, were the icons themselves were not worshipped, but they were assistant assistants to worshipped, or assistants to help the church worship to know and have right theology to not worship a fictitious Jesus, but say who's the Jesus that is um, was that walked with us, that performed miracles. So this is a early church depiction, and you see this is Mary, the mother of Jesus. Jesus here depicted in the middle, and you see that of a burning bush around Mary. We see Moses here with his sandals off um, and depicting the burning bush. And this is amazing because uh, Mary was one who carried the presence of God. Mary here uh, uh, was a host to the presence but not consumed by the presence. When you think of it too, it's amazing that the God of the universe, the God who it cannot be contained, chooses to contain himself in the womb of the Virgin. Wow. Okay, moving on. We see this from Gregory of Nyssa. He shares in his commentary of this, from this we learn also the mystery of the Virgin, the light of divinity, which through birth shone from her into human life, did not consume The burning bush, even as the flower of her virginity, was not withered by giving birth. We see this depicted in other places as well of of, uh, Mary holding the um, Christ, the child, depicted as a burning bush. We get into the New Testament of the transfiguration, the transfigured Christ. And what we see here is that we see Moses experiences a second burning bush. You go and you read the account in the Gospels of Jesus when he transfigures. He shows in part his glory to um, Peter, James, and John depicted here at the bottom. Who's there that um, appears in an apparition with Christ? It's the prophet Elijah and the prophet Moses. So Moses is seeing Coming full circle, seeing Christ as the burning bush. You even go back to the Exodus three, where Moses encounters the burning bush. There is it, um, theologians would tell us that it's the incarnate Christ speaking to Moses in the burning bush. You go and you read John eight fifty eight. It actually shows where Jesus reveals Himself as I am to the Pharisees. And when the Pharisees heard that, they says they immediately. Went to pick up stones because they, you know, would obviously be a very heretical statement. Um, Again, why the Pharisees didn't like Jesus, but he reveals himself there as I am. So there's so many parallels and connections and points of contact between that of the burning bush and when Christ here transfigures himself before Peter, James, and John. Now, this is amazing. You see John receiving revelation, it shows John's face fixed on. The transcendent glory. And this would be a picture of going into the book of Revelation where John receives, it says he's caught up in the spirit. And that's where we're given the apocalypse or we're given the book of Revelation. And um, that takes us to, again, this burning bush moment, how it's all connected. We see this even in culture. I think this is, I'm not a big Marvel person, but this is Captain Marvel. And what is her? Superpower or strength, it she um, has is set ablaze but not consumed. Again, we see this in in throughout our uh, culture. Um, you bring this all the way to Acts chapter two in Pentecost. We see that flames of fire fell upon the apostles. Luke three sixteen said that we would be baptized in what spirit and baptized in fire. This is all a picture of the burning bush. What is the purpose of the burning bush? Practically, that we be set ablaze. We be filled with the fire and the power of God, the presence of God, that we host him. Jonathan Pagu says this. It says, Pentecost is the church ablaze, a fire that spreads and consumes until the age itself is consumed like the burning bush seen by Moses on the mountain, the church itself is not consumed. So we're going to see that at judgment, the prince of God is going to be poured out. The power of God is going to be poured out. But to one camp, it's going to look different than the other. And that takes us to the great white throne judgment found in Revelation chapter 20. This is the early church depiction of the great white throne judgment. Again, we see Jesus in his glory. Here we see the apostles on both sides. Um, and where we see is the glory of God revealed. In one camp here, it's glory. It's his mercy, grace, love, and and kindness that it's a picture of those that have hosted the presence of God. They've been looking for this. They've been anticipating, they've been watching. they've been sober minded. The parable of the ten virgins, their, their lamps have been filled and they've been awaiting their bridegroom. Here we have the same glory revealed, but those, and you can see in the depiction, they're confused, lost, not knowing what's happening. And it's a picture of the world who was not prepared, who was not ready. And that same glory is seen, that same love and mercy poured out from the compassion of the Son of God is seen as wrath judgment. We see here that the archangel Michael is is um, portrayed, and um, they've opened the Lamb's Book of Life. And isn't this what we want to find, that our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life? And again, this this age, in the earliest church creeds, the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, it ends with this powerful sa- statement, and it says that we await for the age to come when Christ comes in glory. So this is a picture of the age to come when Christ comes for his church. So again, we're, we're going from Exodus all the way to Revelation to show where the burning bush stays consistent Here's what it says, our judgment at the end, this is by Thomas Hopko, a great theologian, our judgment at the end will be by fire, that we stand the fire of the mercy and the love of God upon us. So God's fire is mercy and love. And if we endure that fire, we want to endure, we become all fire. So we go from glory to glory to glory, the scripture says, so to a better glory here, the glory of Christ. But if we do not endure that fire, then it destroys us. And we see the destruction depicted here, the pain, the suffering. Um, And where I want to go to now, and I want to ask the question, is what do we do with this? What do we do with um, the presence of God? What do we do with having this knowledge of, I, I want to host the presence of God, but I don't want to be consumed by it. I want to be preserved by it. Think of it this way, and I, and I want to look at, um, I would like to look at Scripture. And as we look at Scripture, you'll see um, here that uh, in the Gospel of Luke, and and I want to go through it. And actually, let me share a few thoughts. So what we see here when the Prince of God comes into your life, when did the Holy Spirit descend upon Jesus? Well, you go and if you follow the the account of Luke, the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus at his baptism. It says a heaven is opened up and the Spirit of God descends on Jesus like a dove. Now this is important. You never see where the heavens closed; they remained open. And this is where you and I, the Church of 2022, Church of Jesus Christ, we live under an open heaven. We have access to the Holy Spirit. We have the grace and mercy of God. Um, we can boldly approach His grace. You know, this is the hour of mercy to um, follow Jesus, to have Him Lord of your life, to obey His commandments, to grow. And and just as Jesus did, grow in stature, grow in the admonition of the Lord. Um, So we see at his baptism. And after his baptism, and again, there's an open heaven. We see Jesus sent, again, Jesus, a type of, of the wilderness is 40 days. So Jesus is sent 40 days or 40 years. So Jesus is sent 40 days into the wilderness where he fights our spiritual enemy, Satan, with the word of God. And as he goes in, it's very important you read this account, is it says he goes in with the Holy Spirit, but he comes out in power. He comes out with the power of God. And as he comes out in power, Isaiah 61 speaks of Jesus' mission. And he uh, quotes uh, Isaiah 61 here in Luke 4, uh, 18. Let me pull this up is he says the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And what do we see? So Luke 4, I'm going to pull this up. Um, let's see. Luke chapter 4, he says this. He says the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. To preach the gospel to the poor, that he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, and set at liberty them that are bruised. So, this is his mission statement. He comes in and says, Yeah, everything you've read about Isaiah 61, um, it's me. And I'm filled with the power of God, with the Holy Spirit. And he reveals himself. Of what his mission is and here's the beauty as jesus was in the desert this is very important as he was fighting the enemy um the early church fathers will tell us that he fought the enemy with the weak left hand of his humanity he did not fight the enemy in his divinity right because if he did one snap of the finger the enemy would be destroyed but he's giving us a picture of a spirit-empowered life. So think of it this way. He went into the wilderness, fought with his right hand of his divinity, pinned to his back, had the left hand of his humanity. It's like a boxer who gets in the ring, who wants to demolish and 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 banter and um, tease and squawk at his opponent as he takes his left weak hand and defeats the enemy and shames his opponent shames the enemy with the weak hand of his humanity. But how did he defeat it? Because he walked into the wilderness with the power of God or with the Holy Spirit, but he came out with the power. So Jesus here shows us that every temptation, as strong as it may be, because Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness is you will have power freely given to you by the Holy Spirit to defeat temptation and to destroy the works of, of the devil. We get into Luke chapter nine. We see where the apostles are commissioned with this same power because it didn't just stop with Jesus. Jesus says there's an open heaven and we're to have this same power to defeat the enemy. Look what it says, Luke chapter nine. It says, then he called the 12 disciples together. He gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure disease. So this is this is mission being missionally minded. This is being a missionally minded church, that we're to carry the same mission of Jesus into the world, that his mission should look like our mission, that as the Father sent him, so he sends us. St. Augustine says this, not only has Christ been anointed, but we have been anointed. We are his body, and we are anointed as little Christ that our homes are seen as little churches and we are little Christ going into the world. We are his hands, we are his feet. How precious is the feet that carry the gospel, scripture says. So Jesus empowers us to go into the misery of this world. He empowers us with his Holy Spirit to go into a broken world, to bring hope, to bring change, to bring the true gospel, not just in proclamation, but Paul says we have to Bring it in demonstration. And you cannot demonstrate the proclamation of the gospel unless you are filled with the power and presence and person of the Holy Spirit. And we do this through laying on of hands. We do this through radical love, radical generosity, that we have peace when everyone else is in chaos and turmoil, that our lives should be marked and have a life demonstrated by, by our action, by our works, where people see jesus in us they see the fruit of our choices they see the fruit of our decisions they see the fruit of our relationships that it it's different and it's not just synchristic where what that means is a little bit of this a little bit of paganism, a little bit of the world i'm hot i'm cold and i just i i do my own truth i live by my own feelings no our, our lives are are called to be different. So we we see this in Luke chapter 9, and that they went and they preached the kingdom of God, they healed the sick. But if that's not good enough, if you're like, well, Garrett, that's the apostles, well, he doesn't stop there. He, if you go to Luke chapter 10, you see that um, you see that the disciples, the 70, are sent out. And so it says this it says that he appointed. Seventy others also sent them two by two. And as he sent them two by two, they went into every city and every place where he himself would come. You scroll down here. We see that the 70 are given the same authority. He says this. In verse 18, that He saw Satan fall like lightning, Jesus did, and he said, but behold, I give unto you the power to tread on serpents, scorpions, and over the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Now, if you're Pentecostal, there's literally been traditions that have taken this Bible passage very literally that we can handle serpents and they won't hurt us. But the deeper meaning here is you're going to have authority that the enemy is not going to overtake you, that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You're going to have authority to tread on the enemy. He is under your feet. You carry the authority of the king. You carry the kingdom and proclamation and demonstration. And what I love about this is this is the only place in the word of God where we see Jesus rejoice. And what is what causes the heart of the son of God to rejoice? Look, Look right here it says that in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit. So when we are being missional, when we're anointed, empowered by the Holy Spirit, this is what gets Jesus excited when we are being the church, when we're radically loving, when we're radically in, a, uh, in peace. And again, peace is not everything circumstantially is right. Peace is I am resting in the person of Christ. I am in the will of God. I am with the people of God. I'm in the word of God, I have the spirit of God. That's what brings real peace. And this is what causes Jesus to rejoice in spirit. I mean, this is amazing. So this is what we do going back to the burning bus. This is what we are to do. This is how we're supposed to live. And if you're here today, I I believe this is just um, something I feel deeply convicted about of where we're at as a church. And it's this, it's that you have everything you have need of. You have everything you have need of when you have the spirit of God and that he is longing to give the full equipment of his spirit, but you have to plunge yourself in the waters of his spirit. You have to seek him. You have to ask. You have to seek. You have to knock and that door of his presence will be fleeing wide open. Let's be Moses's and have encounters and awakenings of the presence of God. Let's be like John who looks upon the glory of God and is taken up in the spirit and receiving revelation of God's word. Not these new neo-revelations, but getting an obsession with loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Loving our neighbor. This is what the prince of God, as we host him, we become like him. And so I pray this encouraged you today. Um, I think that this is having the fiery love of, of, of the life of God inside of us. Getting instruction. Moses got instruction. Every excuse he had, Jesus addresses from his stutter, he gives Aaron. Um, from uh, the, the fear that he had, well, who is sending me? Jesus gives him a refreshment of identity. So there's so much you can go back and read. But if you can take this word today... And host the presence of God. You're going to see him as he is. You're going to know him as he longs to be known. And you will make Jesus rejoice in spirit when you get missionally minded and you go into a broken world and you be the hands and feet of Jesus. So that ends our time together today. We'll see you back here next Friday um, as we take a moment on another recap. Uh, But don't forget to share, like, subscribe. And we'll see you right back here next week. Have a great weekend. God bless.